ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. Happy Friday. My name is Jay, and I hope all is well. All right, guys, I come to you today. I've got a little bit of an issue that I've been considering, and I'm a little bit torn on it. Now, it's not 1972. I know it's not 1972. I'm sure all of you are aware that it's not smack in the middle of the 70s. I don't think politicians are aware of this fact, though. You know, the world's changed a lot. You know, when I was a kid, obviously there was no cell phones, there was no internet, and politicians could pretty much say what they wanted to say whenever they felt like saying it, because the only way the average person could check to see what a politician had said six months ago was if you got dressed, got in your car, you had to drive over to the library, and then you had to sit down at one of those little damn microfish machines and just scroll through back issues of the newspaper. You physically had to go and read the stories to see what this politician was quoted as saying. And now, all you've got to do is type something into the search bar of your computer, and within about a half a second, it will pull up everything that politician has said for the last 50 years. It's literally a task of seconds to compare what they're saying today with what they said a year ago or six months ago. A perfect example of this is the head of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, who about four months ago said on an appearance of The View that she had had her son vaccinated. And then about a month ago, she was giving a speech about all the, well, actually a couple of months ago, because this was the beginning of the summer, it's getting away from me. But she was talking about children going to summer camp and all the restrictions and guidelines that the camps were going to have to follow. And she launched into a story about how much her son loves going to camp, that as soon as he gets home from camp one year, he starts marking the days off on a calendar when he can go again. And she said this year it got down to zero and she had to tell him that he was not going to be going to summer camp. Well, I'm not sure why you're not allowing him to go to summer camp if he's been vaccinated, which, I mean, number one, you're the head of the CDC. You're not supposed to be trying to scare people like that. Number two, if he's vaccinated, why would you not allow him to go to summer camp? The vaccine is going to protect him. And plus the fact that children have, I mean, statistically a zero chance of catching this disease. And even the ones that catch it, almost all of them don't actually get sick And there's very little evidence that children can pass this disease. And again, we're all just following the science. Keep that in mind. But another thing is, if you weren't going to let him go to summer camp, why did you wait until the calendar hit zero to tell him? I think you're overselling that a little bit. Now, I don't believe any part of that story, uh, number one. I feel like if I took a tour of Miss Walensky's house... I don't know what I would find, but I guarantee you that there's one thing I won't find, and that is a calendar in her son's room with a bunch of days crossed out. That makes for a nice little anecdote in your story, but that is a bit of a cartoon version of what a child might do. And I think this kid's in high school. I don't know how many people went to summer camp in high school. Probably not very many. But again, it just a Comparison of two statements that say the exact opposite, and she does it with absolutely no shame, no hesitancy. It's like they believe that most people are not going to be able to remember that she said something completely different very short time ago. 
And also politicians don't seem to realize that every single person on the planet has got a high-definition video recorder in their pocket that they walk around with all the time. I understand camera phones are a relatively new invention, but it seems like people would have figured out that, especially people in the public, that there's probably somebody filming them wherever they go. But of course, you have California's Governor Newsom, who locked that state down like a little junior Mussolini, and then went and had a big party at the French Laundry. That is a very upscale French restaurant uh, somewhere outside of L.A. I believe this is one of those places where it's like $400 a person. Uh, You have... I mean, just example after example of city mayors and state governors that really were draconian about locking their state down. And, of course, then they go on vacation or they go five states over and visit their children. Again, how do these people not realize this stuff is going to happen? Now, I'm willing to stipulate that a lot of these politicians are really, really stupid people. And I don't mean... You know, intelligent people do stupid things. No, I mean these people actually have a very low IQ. Their cognitive ability is next to non-existent. I think a lot of these people look good on stage giving a speech, and they have a lot of charisma, but their brains are filled with oatmeal, and they can't... I don't think they can remember what they said six weeks ago, much less worry about what we are going to think if we find out that they're flip-flopping. So I'm willing to stipulate that this is just dumb people doing what dumb people do. I really think there's a a bigger component than that. And I think it's that these politicians, they just feel so superior and they feel so far above us peons that they don't care if we catch them in this stuff. I think a lot of it is that they don't think that we are intelligent enough to remember what they said or to track down what they said. But basically, I think it's, you know, it's like if the king of England 500 years ago accidentally knocked over something in a peasant's house. Well, the peasant, first of all, the peasant's not supposed to say anything about it. But even if he gets upset, he can't do anything to the king. If anything, he's going to get thrown in prison if he mouths off to the king. So it doesn't matter to the king that he knocked over a pot and broke it. And I think that is the mentality that most of our politicians have. They're starting to push masks again, masks and social distancing. But then there's video online of Obama having a big party in an enclosed place. Everybody's sweating. And, you know, when you go to a club, you can't have a normal conversation. You've got to lean right up against the person you're talking to and pretty much shout right in their face. Or you can't hear what's being said. So, you know, those sweaty, heavy breathing, tired, drunk dancers at Obama's party were not practicing social distancing. And in the video, you don't see a single person wearing a mask. And that's really how you can tell that these politicians don't believe all the scare tactics around COVID. And let me take just a second. I'm not a COVID denier. I understand that there is a new virus out there that we're having to deal with. It is not the second coming of the Black Death. It's nowhere near as dangerous as they've made it seem on the news. There was no reason to lock us down. And if you need proof of that, watch how the politicians behave. All these politicians were saying, you know, you have to lock yourself in your house and you have to stay away from the people you live with. And we will tell you when it's safe to come back out of your house. And then they go do whatever in the hell they were going to do anyway. That's how you can tell how somebody actually feels about a subject. You watch what they do. It's easy to say something. You can say anything. 
But if you don't believe what you're saying, you're not going to alter your behavior to conform with what you just said. You're just going to go about your life. And these politicians have no fear about going out to eat in public. They have no fear about going out to any kind of public event. They did not alter their lives one iota. They expected you and me to alter our lives tremendously, but the rules didn't apply to them. And that's how you know that they're not actually afraid of this disease. They want you and me to be afraid, but they are not afraid of the COVID. Let me give you another real-world example of what people say versus what they do. The area that I grew up in, very economically depressed. Uh, There's a lot of opioid addiction in that area. It's rampant. And there is a lot of scrap metal thieves and copper thieves. Now, if you sat down and talked to one of these copper thieves, they're going to tell you that, number one, most of them are probably going to say they're on disability. Uh, Number two, they're going to tell you that they'd love to work, but they haven't been able to find the right job or there's no jobs available and they've been looking and they just can't find anything. But they'll go into somebody's abandoned house and they will pull the electrical wires out of the walls. Now, if you have ever done any kind of electrical work, that is a huge job to get a wire out of a wall. And even taking into account that they don't care how much of a mess they make in the house, that's still, I mean, the times that I have had to actually repair an electrical line, say like going to a switch or an outlet, even just doing that one part of that circuit is an incredibly painful experience. I mean, it takes forever. And of course, I'm trying very hard not to do as little damage to the wall as I can while I'm repairing the electrical line because I've just got to go back and repair that later. But even just doing like one wall switch is a huge pain in the butt. It would take you, I I mean, I can't imagine it would, you could get it done in a day if you had three of your buddies with you. I mean, that is a huge job they're undertaking. Now, they say that they can't work, but they can go do that, take on that huge task, because that's what they want to do versus finding a job, which is what they don't want to do. Again, people's actions will show you what they believe. And politicians believe that you and I are too stupid to figure out that they're just making this crap up as they go along. It is a particularly arrogant way to look at your constituency. And this is both sides. I I pick on the left a lot because the left really does a lot of this crap. I mean, they're very vocal about they're wanting to do this stuff to us. Uh, but there are plenty of Republicans that are exactly as bad. And when I say plenty, I mean damn near all of them. But it's just the progressives, the people that identify themselves as progressives, both in Congress and just in real life, they particular think that they're far more advanced than everybody else. If you have ever had an argument with somebody that's very progressive, either in real life or on Facebook, which is where most of mine have taken taken place, I, they just really have a very narcissistic look at themselves and just feel superior and have a lot of disdain for anybody that doesn't agree with them. Now, Now, again, this is every human being on the planet. We all have confirmation bias. We all fall victim to the Dunning-Kruger effect, which basically 
I mean, it says a lot of things in, in that study, but basically the big thing is, is that people don't know what they don't know. And that sounds like a very obvious statement, but it just means people will think that they're much better at things than they actually are, that you're not a good judge of your own performances, basically. And we all fall into that. I mean, that's just simply how the human brain works. But people that identify as progressives have weaponized that very petty, bad part of our brain. It's not something that you should cultivate to try to make yourself feel better about yourself. As a matter of fact, I've I've got one friend on Facebook. Um, I haven't blocked him, although I've considered it several times. I've just stopped complete, completely stopped engaging with him on any subject. And I've known this guy since I was 12. You know, and face to face, he's a great guy to be around. He's got a good sense of humor, a lot of fun to be around. You talk to him online and he is the most arrogant, belittling, snobby a-hole you can imagine. And every single argument I've had with him boils down to he would basically, now he would never type out these words, he would couch it in other terminology, but basically the gist was is that I'm not smarter than him. And if I was as smart as him, I would agree with him. And that's where the narcissism comes in because, I mean, these people feel like, well, you know, I'm perfect. So anything that I believe is perfect. And ipso facto, if you disagree with anything I believe, you're obviously wrong and maybe a horrible person on top of that. But that's why I don't engage with this individual anymore. Uh, The way he looks at anyone disagreeing with his political opinions is the way I would feel about it if a garden slug was critiquing my driving ability. You know, we're, we're simply not on the same plane of existence. You don't need to tell me how to drive my car. You don't even have hands. It's the reason that it really worries me about all these progressives taking over the Democratic Party. Now, again, I draw a huge distinction between progressives and old-school Democrats. I really don't have much of a beef with old-school Democrats. Uh, They want a little bit more government intervention than I do, but pretty much any other thing, I actually kind of agree with a lot of what the Democrats used to say. Uh, But the progressives, believing that most everybody else in the country is so far beneath their level of understanding on any topic— it worries me because they feel that it's it's okay to lie to you to get you to do what they want to do uh, because, I mean, number one, the ends justify the means, and that is a very dangerous way to look at things because that means you can do pretty much any horrible thing, and it's okay because you're trying to get to this good place. It's It's basically the inverse of the standard saying of, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But a lot of these progressive politicians, they feel that it's okay to do those things. It's okay to lie to us. It's okay to force us down a false narrative because we need them to shepherd us to the right place because we're never going to get there on our own. We're all just going to wander around like a bunch of idiots without their help. But that really, that's not anything new. Um, A lot of this stuff, because of the internet, You know, it was always there, but like I've said before, the internet, the anonymity and the safety that people feel hiding behind their keyboards has really put all of this bad behavior on creatine. It was always part of the human animal, but it's really just coming out now. Plus, everybody has a way to tell everybody on the planet what they think about everything. 
but this sort of arrogance and disdain for quote unquote average people, that's nothing new. That goes all the way back to the beginning of the communist movement. Everybody knows Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto. Uh, there was also, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his first name. His last name was Engel. Uh, Karl Marx and this Engel gentleman co-wrote the Communist Manifesto. And everybody just assumes that Karl Marx was just kind of a philosopher, and this is what he came up with. Karl Marx didn't just feel like this was a good way for a society to run. Karl Marx also felt like that the elites of that society, uh, people like himself, should be in charge because everybody else was incapable of administrating their own lives, basically. Uh, Karl Marx was not a philosopher. Karl Marx was a wannabe dictator who never achieved any power. I'm sure history is full of people like that. I'm sure for every one Adolf Hitler, there's 20 people that were just as insane, but didn't manage to develop any political clout. Yeah, but Karl Marx was not this benevolent. I know he looks very grandfatherly with the big beard, and he was an older man in every picture I've ever seen of him. Uh, but yeah, he was a megalomaniac. Uh, if he was in a Bond film, he absolutely would be building a secret base in a volcano. I have had a couple of friends, actually, on that are on the left, have went further and further left as we've gotten older. That Actually, you could tell when I say something like that about Karl Marx, it pisses them off. I'm attacking their hero at that point. So the narcissism has always been there. Uh, modern progressives have weaponized it. But that's actually kind of what the fight is about. You know, the biggest thing, I have no desire to tell other people how to live their lives. I don't know what's best for you. Obviously, I'm going to have a lot of opinions on the things that you should do. But I'm not going to consider myself the end-all, be-all authority on what you need to do to have a happy life. And that is the biggest line in the sand between myself and the progressives is that the progressives absolutely want to tell me what kind of job I should work at, what stores I should shop at, what I should eat, what I should drive, what I should watch on TV, what I can hear on the radio, what kind of movies I go see, what kind of people I'm friends with. I mean, just down the line, they want to control every aspect of your life. And I simply don't agree with any of that. Now, believe me, I can see the way I feel about the world is becoming more and more of a thing of the past. And maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe that's just the natural evolution of society. But I hope that the progressives don't win out because they they want to control society and not for the benefit of anybody but themselves. And that's why I'm giving myself a bit of a homework assignment. It's not something that I want to do, uh, but it is a skill that I've developed over a lifetime. I've always been... A voracious reader. Um, I read just off the top of my just a spitball guess. I'm going to say I read between 40 and 50 novels every year. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble tomorrow. Um, I'm going to pick up a copy or if Barnes and Noble doesn't have it, I'll order it off Amazon. But I'm going to pick up a copy of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. And I'm going to pick up a copy of the Communist Manifesto. And I'm going to read those two books, and I'm not looking forward to it. I have a 
pretty strong suspicion that everything in those books is going to turn my stomach. But as Sun Tzu said in The Art of War, uh, which I've also read, I'm not sure why that is exalted as this great piece of literary work. Um, I thought it was 250 pages of incredibly obvious statements. Uh, you know, things like, do not fight your enemy where he wants to fight you. Fight him where he does not want to fight you. Well, duh. I haven't been to a military college. I can make that guess. If my enemy wants to fight in open ground, and I've got a choice between fighting him in open ground or inside a forest or up on a mountain, guess which option I'm going for. You don't fight your enemy where he has an advantage. But as Sun Tzu says in The Art of War, know your enemy. And Rules for Radicals in the Communist Manifesto is kind of the Bibles for the progressive left. I would be surprised if one in ten of those people have actually read those books. Uh, but I'm going to take it upon myself to read those books, and I believe I'm going to devote, I don't know, maybe do two episodes a month where I'll take a chapter of one of those books and give you a summation of what it says and my thoughts and insights on what is said in that book. That way the rest of you don't have to subject yourself to actually reading that garbage. But uh, but that's something I'm going to do. Um, I don't know when I'll do the first one. It'll probably be a couple of weeks. Uh, but I am going to sit down and I'm going to learn about the enemy. Uh, Sun Tzu would be proud. All right, guys, that is about all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I know that wasn't wasn't a lot of meat on the bone today. It was just me ranting about some stuff. But, hey, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, a like and subscribe would be appreciated. And if you'd like to share the show with your friends, I would especially appreciate that. And as always, if you want to leave me a comment, you can do so at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com. Or you can leave a comment on the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys, enjoy your weekend. I will talk to you on Monday. And as always, I appreciate you sitting with me. Thank you very much.